going to ask you to stand again for the reading of God's word. And Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 10, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. I'm going to shock you tonight. I'm going to talk to you about the gay lifestyle and the last days. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation of God made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. You may be seated. In today's newspaper, the Florida Times Union, an article by Cal Thomas, he, he interviewed an Episcopalian friend, and he, his friend said to him, if you're a heterosexual sexual clergyman, and you're having sex outside of marriage, you can be expelled. But if you're a homosexual clergyman having sex outside of marriage, they rejoice. And then Cal Thomas's comment further down in the article, this today's newspaper, the newly appointed bishop, Gene Robinson, who had been described by the New York Times in deliciously political correct language as the gay bishop elect, left his wife and two children to take up with a man. These are the times in which we live. These are the days that Jesus spoke of that would be like it was in the days of Noah when they would be marrying and giving in marriage and abandoning, abandoning the word of God for the things of this world. Sex is big news. Sex is big news. Kobe Bryant allegedly raping a young woman, Catholic priests molesting and sodomizing young boys, an Episcopal priest, openly gay, being confirmed as a bishop, previous American presidents having sex with interns, a deacon of a large church convicted for having sex with young boys, Youth leaders convicted of having sex with young girls. School bus driver arrested for having sex with a teenage girl. School teachers having sex with students. Strong support in the courts and the media for same-sex marriage. In our lifetime, in our nation, we're headed in the direction of that being approved. What is wrong with this picture? I ask you, what is wrong with this picture? It's unbiblical. It is not according to the Word of God. It is out of focus with God's Word. It is unnatural and it is perverted. It is a crime and it must never be condoned and the Christian church must lift their voice in strong opposition. I would not want these young people to wonder where our church stood on this issue. It's on the news every single day and every hour of the day. It is being debated in talk shows. It's in the newspaper. 
It will be discussed wherever people gather together. So I want to discuss it frankly tonight from a biblical standpoint of how God looks down from heaven upon this generation that is perverted with a lifestyle that's out of sync with God's word. God has a plan for marriage. And according to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, I read it to you from our Lord. From the beginning of creation, God made male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. For this cause, twain shall be made one flesh. For this cause, they will not be considered two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And so the union that God ordains is between a man and a woman. From the very beginning of creation, there have been out-of-bound sex. You can go back, read it in the book of Genesis, and you find that people were breaking God's laws in the very beginning. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, and may I read to you verses 4 and 5 from Genesis chapter 6. There were giants in the earth in those days. Also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children unto them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It appears that the sons of God, and many believe these to be angels, others believe differently, and I would not uh, want to convince you one way or the other, but nevertheless, it was illicit sex that was going on, and as a result, giants were born into the land. Whatever happened there was wrong, and giants were born as a result of it, and they were disfigured, but they were huge, and they were ungodly, and they challenged the people of God. And David had to slay members of the family of giants. And so we find, if, if indeed these sons of God here were angels, there is a verse in the New Testament that sheds some light on it in 2 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse, chapter 2 and beginning with verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, if God spared not the angels that sinned and cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after them should live ungodly and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Here we have a New Testament reference to angels that sinned, then cast down to hell, put into prison, and held there in chains of darkness until the day of judgment. Beloved, if God imprisoned angels for violating his moral laws. I, I want to suggest to you that he will not excuse man for violating his moral laws. From the beginning of creation, God decreed that marriage and sex was for man and woman who were lawfully married. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, 
And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. So Jesus quoted from Moses' writings. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And he recorded there God's plan for marriage was that the man that he created and the woman that he created could be lawfully joined together in a union called marriage and they could be one flesh. It was a beautiful arrangement in which man could find his greatest fulfillment of all of his earthly desires in the holy union that God ordained and established. When we get outside of that and we get out of bounds, there will never be the peace of God. The result would be a home with children and family ties strong enough to endure any culture and any storms of life. Jesus strongly emphasized that this holy union between man and woman was not only the ideal, it was God's design for New Testament people as well. Not just the early days of creation, but for the New Testament as well. He answered them in Matthew chapter 19 and said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. It's the same thing said in the book of Mark chapter 10. Paul got in on the same conversation later and gave the same teaching. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31, the apostle Paul, he wrote these words, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This old sin-sick, benighted, cursed world needs to hear what the Bible has to say about marriage. Let us draw an honest conclusion. Number one, God's plan for man is that he find the right person of the opposite sex and be married to that person for the rest of their lives. That's God's plan. That's number one. Number two, God himself joins those two persons in marriage if they meet the civil and divine requirements and they become one flesh and should never allow man to put them asunder. One word that should never enter into the discussion of a husband and wife is divorce. I mean, murder? Maybe, but not divorce. <laughs> Number three, children born of this union are legitimate. Sexual union between these parties is not defiled. The writer to the, of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 13 and verse 4, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. There are certain things that threatens God's design for the family. Divorce, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, all of these are opposed to God's law. We need to point out that divorce is allowed for certain reasons. We must not be unkind. We must not be unfair. We must not be unscriptural. 
The Bible allows divorce for certain reasons. And we're not here to, to give that teaching, but I will just simply say, if there's infidelity on the part of one of the partners in the marriage, then the innocent party is entitled to obtain a scriptural divorce and a right to remarry. If one of the partners abandons the other, then the innocent person in that abandonment is entitled to a divorce and to a remarriage. And we will not go to the scriptural text to get into all of that because I want to pursue the thought, but I did not feel it fair to bring that topic up without some understanding that these are difficult hours and divorce is not desirable, but when it occurs, we as a church must love those people. And we must reach out to those people and help them to live for God. If their divorce was a mistake and if their remarriage was a mistake, they can still go to heaven, they can get forgiveness, and they still must have the love and the understanding and the support of a church to make it with God's help. The same thing can be said of the homosexual and gay lifestyle. They must be loved and they can be helped. And we will come to that part of the message a little bit later. Adultery and sexual intercourse is sexual intercourse outside of the marital bond. A partner with whom they are not married to and having sexual intercourse, that's adultery. Fornication includes adultery and all other forms of unscriptural and illicit sex, like bestiality, pedophilia, incest, and on and on and on, etc. Any form of illicit sex is fornication. It is clear from the scriptures that this illicit sex is a union that is forbidden by God. I'm going to give you God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 15. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It is never normal. It is never lawful to have sex outside of marriage. People argue about the homosexual lifestyle and say, well, they're born that way. You, cannot, you can't win that argument any more than you can say that a pedophile was born that way. In, any more that you can include any other type of illicit sex behavior. If they're born into this world and they develop and acquire certain things that are very compelling in their life, it could be they were deprived of certain things in their childhood and it contributed to their lifestyle. But nevertheless, it is an acquired problem, not one they're born with. It is not normal for a man to have sex with a boy. It is not normal for any adult to have sex with a child. It is not normal for a, a person to have sex with an animal. It is not normal for persons of the same sex to engage in sexual activity. I'm talking frank tonight, and I'm talking straightforward, but I'm giving you scripture text to prove what I'm telling you. Becoming one flesh with a person through sexual intercourse is illegal if you're not married to that man or to that woman. Homosexuality is forbidden by God. It is forbidden by God. Old Testament scriptures make it clear that all these forms of uh, fornication were wrong. 
The law of Moses, Exodus chapter 22, verse 19. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall be put to death. Leviticus 18, 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. We don't put people to death anymore. It's, it's not that kind of a crime. But as far as God is concerned, it was always branded as wrong, and it is still a sin to this day. It doesn't matter if the Episcopal Church confirms a bishop who abandoned his wife and two children to take up with a man. It's still wrong. It doesn't matter if Catholic priests have had sex with boys. It's still wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 17, there shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. The Levite and his wife came to the land of Gibeah. And as you know this story in the book of Judges, as they were making their hearts merry, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door and spoke to the master of the house, the old man saying, Bring forth the man that came into thy house that we may know him. And the men of that city wanted to have sex with the man who had brought his, his wife and servant into the house for safety for the night. And they wanted to bring the man outside and have sex with him. The man refused. And he offered his own daughter. And the man's uh, wife that he had brought in, or it was a concubine that he had gone to retrieve and bring back to his home. That night they abused that concubine so much in the night that she fell down dead at his doorsteps the next morning. He took her to his home, cut her up in 12 pieces with a knife, and sent one piece to each of the 12 tribes of Israel that they would come and punish the people of that city and of that land for their terrible deed that they had done. That shows how serious the sin of homosexuality and sodomy is. Paul declared that people would not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me read it to you from 1 Corinthians. This is hard. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus shed his blood to produce a church that would be holy, that would be pure, that would not be blemished with sin. And beloved, when you engage in a lifestyle, whatever it is that's wrong and whatever it is that God forbids, it doesn't have to deal with homosexuality, it doesn't have to deal with adultery and fornication. It can deal with being a thief, it can deal with being dishonest, being a liar, or, or murdering somebody. The price is awful that you have to pay for sinning against God will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is there any hope? Oh, yes, there's hope. If you confess your sins, God will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 24. I was listening to a debate on television about this, and uh, the preacher on the panel was challenged to quote from Romans. Well, here it is. Here it is from Romans chapter 1 and verse 24. So God let them go ahead into every sort of sex sin to do whatever they wanted to. Yes, vile and sinful things with each other's bodies. 
This is the Living Bible. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. So they prayed to things God made, but wouldn't obey the blessed God who made these things. This is why God let them go, let go of them, and let them do all these evil things. So that even their women turned against God's natural plan for them and indulged in sex sin with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sex relationships with women, burned with lust for each other, men doing shameful things with, each, uh, with other men, and as a result, getting paid with their own souls with a penalty they so richly deserved. So it was, when they gave God up and would not even acknowledge Him, God gave them up to do everything their evil minds could think of. I don't ever want God to give up on me. So I'm not going to give up on God. I'm going to live by this book. This is God's law. Young people, you live by this book. You establish your moral criteria according to the word of God in this book. Next week, I will have out on the table a list, a list of scriptures, scriptures and a lesson from this sermon in print that you can take and you can study the scriptures out. They'll be listed out for you there or you can buy the tape. But the the tape will not be as comprehensive as what you would pick up at the table. There is hope. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Everybody in the world. Everybody. That includes you. That includes me. It includes those that we despair of their lifestyle. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't want you to perish. And if you fail God with some type of sexual sin, maybe not as bad as homosexuality, but any kind of fornication, any kind of illicit sexual act, if you have failed God, there's still hope. You don't have to establish a lifestyle that you will be so corrupted you can't help it and you're just driven and compelled by irresistible urges. You can acquire these urges. A prostitute on the street a person who rapes women. This man who rapes, serial rapists who rapes so many people. Is it lawful because he was compelled by an inner urge? No, it was sinful. It's a crime still. Even if he felt like he had to do that, if he felt like it was all right because he's born that way. A rapist is not excused because he feels that compulsion. Homosexuality is not excused because it's a compulsion. It has been acquired. And it is something that will bring the judgment of God. God's love is unconditional. Christ died for everyone. And everyone must be changed from their sinful state. If you've never thought an evil thought, if you've never done an evil deed, you still need to be changed. You're not a saint because of your own goodness. You're a saint because of God's forgiveness and God's cleansing. The Bible says there is none righteous no, not one. Even in the church, even in the early days of the church, the apostle Paul found that he had to address this matter of adultery in the church and fornication in the church. 1 Corinthians 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves. Who was he writing to? He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to the, the saints. 
We can allow these things to creep in and accept them because we love the people, we understand they've got a problem, and we don't want to drive them away. And I'll tell you tonight, I don't want to drive anybody away. I have counseled with many persons with a problem of homosexuality, and I have never driven one away. I have told them of the love of God and the compassion of this church. There is hope. There is help. Paul again wrote, such were some of you, but you're washed and you're sanctified. Hallelujah. A ministry here in the city called Christian Healing Ministries, Francis McNutt, back in the year of 2000, in his uh, Healing Line magazine, wrote this article. And he said, there are two positions about homosexuality. Tearing apart many church denominations and Christians. These positions are irreconcilable. Number one, homosexuality is condemned by the Bible. God's word to the homosexual is repent and get your life in order. Secondly, number two, homosexuality is given in some people's lives. I can't change. It's the way I am. I can't repent for that. Stop trying to heap shame on me. But then Francis McNutt says there's a third way. There's a third thing to consider. We believe the best solution that homosexuality can be healed. Homosexuality can be healed. And he continues on. And I have a copy of his article. Oh, beloved, what we need to do tonight is to understand that God can change anybody from anything. I have a list of five organizations that I personally know of. I don't know if they're still in business at the time that I made these notes several years ago. There were five different ministers that reach out to homosexuals and help them to get out of their lifestyle. But what I want you to know tonight is that this church disapproves any kind of sex, of any kind of sex act that is illicit and unscriptural. Sex is pure and holy and should be engaged in only by a husband and wife that are properly married and they should thank God for the grace of life and never compromise that position. We need to teach our young people to be faithful to their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and save your affection for the person that you're going to live the rest of your life with, hopefully. Uh, where's Sister Wiggins? Seated right back here is the only woman I've ever kissed. With the exception of my mother. <laughs> and a, a few elderly saints of God. <laughs> the only person, I've been faithful to my wife. She has been faithful to me. That's the way it ought to be. 51 years we've been together as husband and wife. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Congressman Willie D. Upshaw came to the college where I was a student in Waxahachie, Texas. He was in a wheelchair, and his wife assisted him. And any time he got mixed up in his uh, talk, she would correct him. And he just stopped in the middle of his speech, and he said, Young man, if you can find a wife as good as I got, get you one, get you one, get you one. So I got me one, got me one, got me one. <laughs> You need to discriminate when you pick out a partner for life. You need to evaluate what their moral standards are. 
You need to understand that it's not going to get better just simply because you come down hard and you begin to try to legislate in the family. You're going to have to come to terms with the fact that if you marry somebody with those problems, they're going to have worse problems after they get you joined together in marriage. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Unless you put Jesus Christ right smack dab in the middle of your marriage to begin with. May not be good English, but it's good gospel. Amen. Now, what I want this congregation to do, we're living in the last days. And these are challenging hours. I want us to pray that God will help our nation not to become a Sodom and Gomorrah. I want us to pray that the church world will become aware of our duty and our responsibility and that we will not crawfish into a corner somewhere and be afraid to speak up and sound the battle cry, and preach the Word of God, and establish biblical boundaries for the ministry. God, help us. Who would ever believe that you would have gay priests confirmed as bishops, or priests having sex with boys? Who would ever have believed that we would have all of this revealed in our lifetime? Who would ever believe that a man in our White House, we'd be having sex with an intern. I'm telling you, we're living in the last days. I believe the prayers of God's people are needed to turn things around, to have revival. I believe these young people are entitled to a nation, entitled to a city, entitled to a church that believes in moral things that are good and wholesome and pure and right in the sight of God. And so I want this church to take on a spiritual responsibility of fighting against the devil, resisting the devil. He will flee if we resist him. So I want you to stand, and we're going to stand against the flood tide of immorality and impurity. And all, you know, with television, our task is even more challenging than ever before. Because as soon as you leave here and go home, there will be things on your television screen that will make you forget everything you heard in this sermon tonight. Unless you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, say, I resist the devil. I'm not having that in my house. You need to clean out the magazine rack, clean out the video rack, get rid of the compromising music, records and CDs that have suggestive words and music. Your style of music doesn't bother me. But the words, the lyrics, and what the message that is conveyed, you need to clean up your life. You don't need to dirty your mind. We don't need that foul, demonic thing attacking our spiritual man. Well, I don't get on this very often. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. You know, I want us to pray for a safe world for our young people to live in. Young people, I want you to fill these altars. Just come right down. We want to pray over you. We want to pray that God will just protect you and God will help you and God will instill you with spiritual fortitude and courage and faith to take a righteous stand in these last days. Isn't that wonderful? Look at these scores and scores of young people. Yeah, give them a good hand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to pray over the youth of our church, the children and the youth of our church, and believe God.
to preserve them and keep them in these troubled times that we live in. I know when I speak to this many people, a message like I preach, that there is some conviction, there is some guilt, and some people feel, oh, somebody's been talking to the pastor. The Holy Ghost has been talking to the pastor. And I, I want forgiveness for everyone that's failed. I'm going to ask the children to pray for all the adults. Turn around, young people. Let's pray for the adults first, and then we'll have them pray for you. Let's pray for parents, adults, Sunday school teachers, church workers, all the adults that should be a holy example. Father, we pray for the parents and for all adults in this sanctuary tonight that not one will fail. I pray, Lord, that where there has been failure, there will be forgiveness and cleansing. And I pray the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse from every wrong act and every thought and every word and every deed that has been evil. We pray for cleansing and deliverance in the name of Jesus. Now, young people, I want you to turn back towards me and the church is going to pray over you. Let's pray over these young people. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift our hands over these young people. We pray that you will keep them, you will preserve them. I pray that they will have integrity, they will have character. I pray that they will be honest and pure. Lord God, when you call them home, may they have lived a pure life. If any of them have failed, I pray that you will forgive that failure. And this night, let them walk out of this church saying, this is a new day. This is a new day in the name of Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Sing with me, no other name but the name of Jesus. And I'd like for more people to come down and let's fill the altars for our closing prayer. Just come on and help us pray at the close of this service. No other name. No other name but the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of the Lord. No other name but the name of Jesus. your heads for a moment please everyone with heads bowed is there anyone here that will lift your hand and say pastor I'm not saved I need Jesus as my savior pray for me I need Jesus in my life I'm not saved raise your hand anyone that's a backslider you want to come back to God anyone we're going to close singing that course again let's worship him in purity and in holiness no other name but the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of the Lord. No other name but the name of Jesus is worthy of glory and worthy of honor and worthy.
God, thank you for being here tonight. And God bless you.